0: yeah so it's a a real pleasure to just to be with the body this morning. Uh, I was gone last week. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute. Um, but I, I really, really love this church i I've thought about you guys a lot over uh, the past week or so. Um, I love being here as I started preparing. Uh, for the talk this morning, I just, I don't know, the Spirit just was bringing all these faces to my mind and and thinking about uh, what God has done in this body over the past <clears throat> 13 or 14 years, and uh, and I just have a deep, deep love for this church. And I also have a deep love for the, the big C church, the church as a whole, God's people, and I think about you know again, like I prayed, all the conflict and the different things that are going on, and just how it must break uh, the Father's heart to see His children uh, act the way they do. Sometimes, a lot of times, uh, I love God. I love Jesus. I love the gospel. I I really, really love His people. In all different shapes and sizes and beliefs and all the different uh, personalities that I get to come in contact with. And I hope that my life is a true reflection of these statements. I hope that none of you would hear a statement like that and, and go, "Uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't see that so much in his life. I really want my life to be a reflection of those things. And I oftentimes just feel like a spoiled child of God. Like like He's just been ridiculously good to me. Like so much so I I feel favored. And And I know He doesn't have favorites, but that's how I feel. My health, my family, my friends, my work, even my comfort. There is no area of my life that God's goodness has not touched. And so how could I ever not extol His greatness? How could I ever not lift Him up to the place where He belongs in my life? How could I ever shrink back from telling other people, whether through actions or words, about the incomparable riches of His grace? Think of that, that verse that, where Paul says that. it talks about the incomparable riches of His grace. How could I ever be ashamed of Him or His Gospel? Three Sundays ago, Brianna started a, a sermon series called Written on Our Hearts. Matt, you might want to take a little note. I, I know you kind of struggled with that last week, knowing what the sermon series was called, even though you were one of the speakers in the sermon series. You don't remember that? Go watch the replay. Oh, okay. wasn't Matt's fault. But the idea of this series was to really give each of the speakers a chance to share a Scripture that's near and dear to them. You know, a Scripture that's helped shape their understanding of who God is and what the Gospel message is. And, and to really promote in the body this idea of reading and knowing Scripture to the point that it overflows out of your mind... In your heart into your everyday life. And this, of course, goes beyond just rote memorization. Thankfully, because I'm terrible at just straight memorizing scripture. I've I've tried countless times through the years with all kinds of different methods to just, you know, remember scripture. And it's about really, I think, building a, a filter of sorts. Uh, along with other things that God does in the way that He moves in people's lives, certainly through the Holy Spirit, certainly through conversations with His people, all those different ways. But knowing the Scripture creates this filter, I think, in our lives, that as our lives flow through that filter, the Scripture written on our hearts should remind us and engage us in a certain way to think, a certain way to act. And so again, as those Scriptures lay over top of each other that we study and we learn, we remember through sermons and through our own personal study, this filter is created. Because there's not much good in us just at our base level. There's just not. And so as our life flows through this filter, uh, it, it filters out those bad things about us, bad things about our thinking and our actions. Brianna talked out of John 10, William out of Philippians 4, and Matt out of Proverbs 12 over the last three weeks sharing different Scriptures that uh, kind of provide that kind of filter in their life. Help them see people and see God a certain way. And I would really encourage you if you didn't listen to those, if you didn't hear those, go listen to them. I mean, three of what I think were the best sermons that have ever been given in our church building. And go meditate on those things and think about the teaching behind them. And then ask yourself, what are those things for you? What are those Scriptures for you that touch you and have shaped you in a certain way? And I want to talk today about Romans 1.16 and what it means to me. It just says, for I am not ashamed of the Gospel, And what it means, I'm sorry, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Romans 1.16 This is one of the very first scriptures I ever really memorized. It's one of the first scriptures I ever studied or really cared to apply in my life. Uh, I grew up in a faith tradition that didn't really push me to write the scripture on my heart. Uh, My walk with God was rather transactional in those days, showing up at certain events, feeling like that was the checkbox for me uh, to be in a good place. Maybe my heart was hard or maybe I just missed what was being taught, but that's how I approached my walk with God. So the summer after my freshman year in college, I worked for a Christian cheerleading company uh, teaching camps all over the U.S. Uh, So... A group of instructors would come together, uh, we'd go to different places, different uh, college campuses and things, and uh, mostly junior high and high school kids would come to those camps and we would uh, teach them different kind of things in cheerleading, but then also there was a spiritual component to it. And So these fellow instructors I came uh, into contact with came from a lot of different faith traditions, and I got to see a lot of different types of commitments to God. Very different than my commitments to God. It was the first time like I saw somebody spoke in, uh, speak in tongues. And just remember kind of thinking through that and, and um, you know, wondering about that and, and how God works in those situations. And it pushed me in a way that I had really never been pushed before. I remember seeing at these camps the Holy Spirit move in a powerful way. Like it was outside of a transaction and into a relationship. And watching people connect at a heart level with who God was. And it was completely different than the Sunday morning clock that I punched uh, up until that point in my life. In Philippians 4.13 and Romans 1.16 were two Scriptures that were really written on my heart that summer. It was my first like christian t-shirt it was like philippians 4:13 i can do all things you know through christ this is really loud obnoxious colors <laughs> i wore it around you know very proudly it was very different for me but i would even call both of those scriptures sparks that really turned into flames in my life flames that that have fueled my walk with god and you'll notice in 16 there that he starts with four and whenever a sentence starts like that, you have to ask, "What is the for there for?" Anybody? No? OK. Um, <laughs> that's my attempt at humor today. <laughs> you, you probably can't see it, but I even put a smiley face after that <laughs> in my notes. <laughs> so yeah, so, so you do have to go back and ask, like, why, what is he referring to there?" and, and not just get, you know, tuned in on that one statement. So if you go back to 14, I'll start in 14. He says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the Gospel also to you who are in Rome. And then he goes in and says, for I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of salvation for all those who believe. I'm sorry, I messed that up. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So Paul here feels this sense of debt to the world around him, and he uses that word obligated—that he feels obligated uh, to the people around him, to Greeks, non-Greeks, both the wise and foolish. And he—and you have to kind of wonder, like, okay, why? Why did he feel obligated to that? So remember, he had persecuted Christians and ha- and had really been an enemy of the gospel. So certainly there was a part of his life that felt remorse about that and felt this obligation to try and right some of those wrongs. But in my research, I also found where some people think that it was because of how advanced the Roman civilization was that he enjoyed a lot of different parts of living in that city and he felt like he owed them or you know, to give back to them something valuable. Either way, um, this approach really changed for Paul when he met Jesus. again, thinking about who he was before his interaction with Christ and afterwards, uh, things changed significantly. What he experienced in Christ drove him to live his life differently. And it created an eagerness in him to share the Gospel with the people around him. Think of that word. That he had an eagerness to share the Gospel. And I'm sure that that filtered into all these different thoughts about relationship with God, the filters in His life and how He thought through things, created this eagerness in, in Him to share the Gospel. Do you feel that? Do you feel that? Do you feel an eagerness in you? Not, not responsibility, right? Because it's easy in a lot of ways to think of what God has given us and feel this sense of responsibility. Well, you know, i got to do that. I mean, I was such a terrible person, i got to make up for it. Like Paul was thinking. Or could have been thinking. But if you take a step back from that and consider God's goodness and consider what He's done in your life, think for you. You know, wipe out the, the, the things that are being told to you or that you feel again are like those checklist items in your life and just think about God's goodness in your life. Just think about that for a second. And when you, when you put your finger on that, from that, does does it does it create this eagerness in you to then be a vessel to help other people experience that? Because those are different things, you know. For many of us, are, we view our walk with God as a burden. Think about that. How sad is that that we we look at our walk with God and we think, well, we have to do this, or we must do that. And and I would just tell you that if you view your walk with God like that, you're missing something. You're missing the fullness of what it means to have life through Christ and have life to the fullest. Breeze talked about this a a little bit a few weeks ago. If you've turned your walk with God into a task list, you've missed the point completely. You've completely missed it. The life that Jesus offers is true life. And so this all starts to crystallize a bit for us here with these three scriptures brought together. He's saying, I've been given so much. How could I possibly be ashamed? For this gospel I believe in has the power to truly change lives. It has the power to create life eternal. In his mind, you can see this process going, I have something to offer. And he comes to the end of that and he thinks and he makes his statement, I'm not ashamed because what I have to offer is the best thing that can be offered. And, and, and it's, it's like, okay, wow. Paul, you think that. You're amazing. We see what you did. And then the Holy Spirit just hits me at least and thinks, why aren't you doing that? Your story is the exact same as that. Persecutor of the faith? Steeped in sin, blinded by selfishness and pride, and then somebody teaches you the truth about the gospel, and something changes in your life. You say, I can't not say something. I can't keep that inside. We have to feel those same things. We should have that same message erupting from our hearts. This geyser of faithfulness for all to see around us. I spent a few days, uh, this past week snowmobiling across Yellowstone. Yes, one day it was negative 15, um, but we, uh, we went on, on through on our snowmobiles. Uh, we covered about 250 miles, so we got to see a lot of different things in the park. And so this came about one of our cousins, um, who, as I was growing up with, uh, cared enough about me to take me and, and do different things when I was visiting my grandmother in North Carolina, uh, gave Cole this trip as a graduation present, and uh, I got to tag along and, and be a part of that. And so, of course, we stopped by Old Faithful. It was our last day in the park. We got to watch it erupt, and it did not disappoint. And our guide, who was incredibly knowledgeable about everything in the park, we stopped at All kinds of different, they call them features. You got to see a lot of different, just amazing things if you've not been there. That was my first time there. If you've not been there, I would suggest you go. You can really see some of the wonders of God's creation in the park there. But with Old Faithful there, I'm going to butcher this, but I'll get it close enough where I think you can follow me and make my point. But there's chambers below the opening of Old Faithful that, that basically fill with water. And then the heat, and then you add in the heat from the earth. And after a certain period of time, the pressure builds, and this is what causes the eruption. And so I, up until this past week, always thought that Old Faithful erupted every 60 minutes. I don't know why I thought that. Uh, sure, it was, that maybe happened somewhere along the way, but, uh, but it's not. They can guess within about 10 minutes um, now when it's going to erupt. So we were standing there waiting for it to happen, and it did. And it was interesting to watch because uh, the opening is a little bit elevated from where the walkway is, and it erupted, And just a few minutes later, we were standing there talking after it had finished. And this water, you hear like a stream start to flow. And the water was trickling down from the eruption. And I asked our guide, I said, well, you know, where does that go? And she said, well, it filters back down into the ground. And then eventually the process starts over. So the groundwater then seeps in to the chamber. It's heated uh, water comes in from the top as well and keeps kind of a cap on it to a certain point where the pressure is greater than the cap, and the eruption happens. Process over and over again with people standing and watching. What what if our lives held that same consistency and process? Our lives before Christ are just a shell really, right? A chamber of emptiness. Void of real life. You can think back to this. You can think back to this in your life. You know what I'm talking about. And then the living water that we're given in Jesus is heated by the fire of the Holy Spirit. And that pressure builds in our hearts and our minds as we experience the wonderful things that God has done for us. And at just the right time, out of our hearts erupts streams of living water. Maybe that's a conversation with a co-worker. Maybe it's an interaction with a neighbor. It could be the gentleness of a discussion with your spouse. Correcting bad views of God and His great love for His people with those around you holding the hand of somebody who's mourning. We never know, we never truly know when God will cause this message to erupt from our hearts, but we know this. As we bear witness to His deep love for us and consider the depth of His grace, the pressure is building. I was talking to my sweet friend Azalee this morning, and not knowing about my illustration in my sermon, she told me uh, just about her feelings about God and day to day, and she literally used the term, I just feel bubbly. I feel bubbly like it's just coming out. Like He's coming out. So I've had many times in my life since that summer To practice what Paul seemed so resolutely set on when he first spoke these words. And I have to admit, I've failed many, many times. You know, I've chosen the praise of men over the praise of of heaven countless times. I've often been that Pharisee that Jesus rebukes in John chapter 12. Ultimately, in all these times that I was ashamed. It was about making myself look good. Or afraid of what other people thought about me. And it's always, always when I forget of God's goodness and faithfulness in my life that I find myself shrinking back. Anyone in here shrinking back? Are you ashamed? And if so, maybe it's just a matter of remembering God's goodness in your life. Remember all those things I talked about a second ago that I opened up with so boldly proclaimed about how good God has been to me? When I truly remember those things is when I'm the most unashamed. What if just one person needs to observe your faithfulness? Just one person. Would it be worth it? I want to just remind you of the heart of God from Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Look at what he's doing here. Look at what he's saying. Everyone is important to God. All people. Every one of us. And it brings into focus for us the need for us to have those eruptions of living water in our lives. Because you never know who God is working on or through or needs your uh, example to be shown. So don't you dare turn your nose up at people who don't look like you. Or act like you. Or wear your brand of politics. Or align with your sexual preferences. Don't you dare say no for the people you come in contact with. You don't know how or where God is working. It may just be in the opportunity you have to be bold for Him that He brings the one in from the field. And that is your responsibility. And gosh, what are you saying to God when you distance yourself from people? Or or anyone really? Are you better than those you turn away from? (laughs) Do you not need the deep grace of God in your life? Of course you do. So speak up. Let those forces we talked about earlier reach their fullness. Let people observe your faithfulness. Do not be ashamed. For it is the power of God for salvation that is working in you. Let people see that you are not ashamed. And know that you're, not, or that you're going to mess up, but thank God that His plan does not depend on our goodness. So, in the end, the Gospel is the basis of Paul's ability to not be ashamed. It's not his goodness. Not something He did or achieved or was. Some way He thought. Something along those lines. It was the Gospel that was the basis of His ability to not be ashamed. First Timothy 1.15, Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. It's like, what? I think it says something to us. I think it sets something for us in motion that we should consider. How's that possible? The worst of sinners is the one who can bring people to God? It is the power of God for salvation. It is based on His goodness. The Gospel is what Paul can boast in. Because it is the power of God that He's depending on, and it's the same power that we have access to today. I want to close out with just a few practicals, because uh, James gets really cranky when I don't give some pra- practicals at the end. He'll end up giving me negative uh, feedback about my sermon. My feelings will be hurt. I'll end up hating him. And so, there's more than just you know giving you some practicals here. Okay, Justina. And the first one is just this. Rest in God's goodness. Rest in God's goodness. Stop striving. Stop striving. Stop trying to achieve beyond what you're capable of. God made you a certain way for a certain reason. And whatever that reason is, is good enough. So rest in His goodness. Secondly, James, you got this one? Live in His presence. Live in His presence. And I'll just say this. Let the process of your faithfulness take place. Let that living water do its deal. Let the heat from the Holy Spirit create the pressure needed so that you can just rest in His goodness and live in His presence. And know that He's working and moving in ways that you probably won't even know. And then finally, don't be ashamed. Like Jesus, remember the joy set before you. Remember Hebrews 12? Where it says, it says, consider Jesus, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. For the joy... Set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame. Scorning its shame. So we can look yet again back to Jesus and His example. So be ready to preach. Be ready to serve. Be ready to suffer. And know that ultimately, it's all to God's glory. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, God, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Uh, Thank You for... um, the living water that You've offered us to uh, to just live and be the people You want us to be. Uh, let us rest on Your promises, God. And trust that uh, uh, that You're moving and acting and working in a way that will bring You glory. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.